when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save, that means except, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Apostle Paul said, I, I made up my mind, I'm not going to try to be so wise and, and come with such fascinating speech that I would impress you with that. But I, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. For I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Another place in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. If uh, I could uh, just create an equation that would make sense for you today based on these two verses, it's the gospel equals the power of God. The gospel equals the power of God, and our faith has to stand in the gospel. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, the reason I speak to you today, I want to remind you what we're here for, why we are on the earth, what God has placed us here for. First Peter 3.15, we've heard from Paul, Apostle Paul, now we hear from the Apostle Peter. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always, everybody say always, to give an answer to every man, say every man, that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Peter said, always be ready to give an answer to every man that asks, what is this reason for the hope that is within you? And I want to talk today about the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many are thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your mercy and kindness to us and your blessings. Thank you, Jesus, for the message of the cross, for the message of your shed blood, the message of the lamb that was slain for our sins. I pray today, Lord God, let the word make an impression and an impact on our hearts, Jesus, and let us leave here, Lord God, today with greater passion, greater knowledge, greater vision, and greater understanding. Lord, if there's somebody here today that has not given their life to you and has not received the glorious gift of your spirit, let them experience this rich experience in this house today, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, and you may be seated. Praise God. Sometimes we forget what we're here for. And uh, in the last few weeks and months, perhaps you've heard of secular interest in the end times. Um, there have been Hollywood movies produced about the year 2012. There are a group of Christians who believe they have pinpointed the day of the Lord's return to May, I believe it's May 21st, 2011. And they're so convinced of their synopsis that they have literally invested hundreds of thousands of dollars 
in advertising, billboards, and so forth, trying to encourage people to make sure that they're ready for the coming of the Lord. We know that in our studies, those of you that are a part of the end-time Bible study with your life group uh, have perhaps been interested and intrigued at what has been going on, what has been declared. And uh, also, we uh, have somebody that wants our attention. (laughs) Come on in, Herbie. Praise God. And uh, so, people are interested in this. And uh, in your studies, uh, you've heard about how Daniel declared that the things would be sealed up until the end of times. And then at the end of times, people would begin to understand prophecies that didn't make sense to them before. The fact of the matter is, whether it's May 21st, 2011, which I think is personally probably a lot of baloney. But there are signs pointing to the fact that the Lord's coming is imminent, so much so that people are becoming interested in it, whether it's clues from the Mayan calendar, biblical clues, signs that are happening with Israel, signs that are happening in the world. There is an interest that the Lord is coming again. With this kind of interest, I want to remind you that the answer for this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope for this world. And while some people are offended by the gospel, offended by the idea that you must accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross in order to be saved, we will not back down from declaring that without the shedding of blood, you have no hope of salvation. Your goodness, your kindness, your works, your efforts are going to leave you short of redemption. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. But it's because of what Jesus Christ has done for us that we have hope of eternal life. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel is a word. Let me see if our teenagers here know what the word gospel means. What is the modern translation of the word gospel? Does anybody know? Good news. Did you know that or did you hear it? He knew it. All right. Let's give him a hand. Good job. Good job, Benoni. Good news is the translation of the word gospel. But when we look at the biblical uh, description... Sarah, if you're up up there, can you get me 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1? We're going to read verse 1 through 5. This is the biblical description or of the gospel or the biblical definition of the gospel. Or Bible scholars say this is the gospel in a nutshell. It's all wrapped up here. But in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. He says, brethren, I declare unto the gospel, this is what was preached, this is what you received, and this is what you stand in. Verse 2, it says, by which also ye are saved. You're saved by the gospel. Everybody understand that? I'm saved by the good news, the gospel. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. You've got to keep it in memory. Well... 
So he said, you're saved by the gospel. You heard the gospel. You stand in the gospel. This is the gospel. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now understand when this is written in 1 Corinthians, this, when it says according to the Scriptures, that's talking about the Old Testament. Everybody got that? Anytime in the New Testament it refers to the Scriptures, it's talking about the Old Testament. Because these writers were referring to the writings that the old that that, that uh, uh, the Hebrew people at that time accepted as the Bible it says Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, which means in the Old Testament you guys understand that there has to be death and bloodshed for your sins. Here's the good news: Jesus died for your sins according to the Old Testament Scriptures, verse four, and that He was buried. Everybody say he was buried. His burial is part of the good news. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, number two. That He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The promise that He would rise again. That He would come forth from the dead. Verse 5, finally. And that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. And it goes on to describe the other evidences of Jesus' resurrection, that He came out of the grave. So simple one-on-one understanding what the gospel is. The good news is that Jesus died for your sins and my sins. According to the Scriptures, He was buried and that He rose again according to the Scriptures and was seen of many people evidencing that He was alive and well. This is the good news. The good news is Jesus died for your sins. But to really get a picture of why it's such good news... You must look at the scriptures that it's talking about that says according to. And uh, the point that most people miss in understanding the Bible is they don't understand that everything in the Bible is about the cross of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I'm not going to worry about, worry about getting real philosophical I'm not going to impress you with my speech, excellency. I'm not going to show you how much philosophy I understand. I'm not going to impress you with my self-help ideas. I'm not going to impress you with how I can say, if you'll do this, 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 and this, it'll make your life better. He says, I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We've got to get back to the foundation because you can go to a lot of churches today and you don't hear much about the cross. You hear about... Three steps to a better life, how to live positively and speak the right things, how to have a better marriage, how to improve your relationships. All of these things are important, and I think they have their place in the house of God. But if you read the book cover to cover, you find out that that book's not about how to speak positive and have a better life. That book is all about the cross of Jesus Christ from the beginning all the way to the ending. Everything that happened before is pointing to it. Everything that happened after is pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so that's what our hope is in. Our hope is not in the fact that we have an exciting church. Our hope is not in the fact that you have a nice pastor and wife. Your hope is not in the fact of all of these things that we talk about or that we read the right book or we heard the right formula for how to get a better life. Our hope is in the fact that Jesus died for our sins according to the flesh. 
That's the good news. To understand why it's good news, you've got to go all the way back to the beginning. We talked last week about redemption and about the, the tree that they partook of that they shouldn't. One thing that we didn't talk much about is the fact that when men and women sinned, Adam and Eve, our parents, great-great-great-grandparents, a few more greats, a lot more greats, all of them, those greats together, Adam and Eve, sinned in the garden by disobeying God, and when they sinned, their eyes were opened, they saw that they were naked, and they sought to cover themselves. Yeah, as a child, I heard this story, and I was like, duh, if you're naked, go put some clothes on. But this is not about getting dressed. This is about covering shame and covering sin so that they would not be ashamed in the presence of God, so that they could come before God, so that they would not be guilty before God. The Bible says that they sewed together fig leaves. I don't know where they got the needle and thread. But they sewed together fig leaves and made aprons. And there they were in the garden in their aprons of fig leaves. And God came walking in the garden and man was hiding. Here's one thing that you must understand about sin. That's disobedience to God or rejection of God's authority doing your own thing. Sin will push you away from the presence of God. Your conscience will let you know that you're a sinner, but your conscience, rather than drawing you into God's presence, will cause you to move away from God's presence. Move away from that place where you can be restored and find hope. But Adam and Eve, get this, get this. When they saw that they had sinned, when they saw that they were naked, rather than running to God and saying, we made a mistake, we need your covering, we need you to take care of us, they tried to do it on their own. Through their own ingenuity, using their hands, using their efforts to cover their shame and to cover their sin. And when God found them, the message of Genesis chapter 3 is that their covering was insufficient. God made them coats of skins. A couple things to notice here. First of all, God made it. They didn't make it. See, what I tried didn't work, but what God does for me will work. Secondly, when you get coats of skins, those of you that went through Brother Costa's Bible study, you remember this. You can't get the coat of skin of an animal and have a living animal running around with no skin. An animal has to die. Right? So to get the pelt of that animal, God had to kill an animal. Blood was shed, and the skins were placed upon them. And this covering was good and right. Not because it covered them better. Not because it was warmer. Not because it made the people from PETA mad. But the reason that this was better was because there could be no covering without the shedding of blood. See, the word in the Old Testament Atone or atonement is the exact same word for cover. And so without the shedding of blood, there could be no covering. And Adam and Eve, 
although we don't under we don't get this right from the scriptures, but we are able to deduce from what followed that God also taught them why there was shedding of blood and why it was necessary for the covering that was to be made and that without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sins. Let's jump forward a little while. Brother Rick, you remember the story of Cain and Abel. The Bible says in the book of Genesis chapter number 4, that when the process of time, in the process of time, verse 3, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. You guys still with me? And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. A couple things to notice about this. As you read the story just casually through Scripture, maybe you just think randomly one day, Cain and Abel decide, you know what? Let's worship God. Why don't we just bring whatever we want, and let's offer it to God, and let's see if God's pleased with it. But if you really take a deeper look at this, I think you realize that Cain and Abel knew what they were doing. Why would they go to a specific place of worship? How do you know it was a place? Well, it says, first of all, they brought unto the Lord. And then when Cain was rejected, he went out of the presence of the Lord. So they had a specific place where they went to offer worship. Some Bible scholars indicate they believe that it was at the east of Eden where God placed the cherubim and the flaming sword, there was a Shekinah of God's presence because the word that translated place there is the same word that's used to describe the word dwell. So rather than saying God placed in the garden, at the east of the garden, God dwelt in the east of the garden. So some people believe that this was the place where Adam and Eve established their connection with God. And then they taught their sons that at a specific time in the process of time, you are to bring an offering to the Lord. And I believe that Adam and Eve, with their understanding of what had happened in the garden, the rejection of the fig leaves, the acceptance of God's bloody sacrifice, that they had taught their children that when you bring a sacrifice to the Lord, bring it with blood. Because Hebrews declares that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. You don't just walk into God's presence with whatever you want. You've got to come with a bloody sacrifice between you and God. And so when they came to offer their offering to the Lord, the Bible says Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. Here's the deal. Cain was a farmer. So the fruit of the ground was the product of his labor. Another thing to notice is that God had cursed the ground from whence they brought their fruit. So he brought the fruit of his labor to the Lord. Abel, on the other hand, brought the firstlings of the flock and the fat thereof and offered it as a sacrifice to the Lord. So here they come into the presence of the Lord to this place of worship. Maybe it was at the east of Eden. We don't know for sure. But they established and set their offering. And here's, here's the deal. I think Cain put a lot of work into his offering, personally. I personally think that it was pretty. I think he took the best of his fruit and arranged it beautifully. And he worked hard at it. And he brought it and he sat it there before the Lord. 
And Abel brought his sacrifice, the firstlings of his flock as well. The Bible said that God had respect unto Cain and, I'm sorry, unto Abel and his offering. But unto Cain and his offering, God had not respect. Now, how does this, how do we discover that? Well, when you look through Scripture, you interpret Scripture by Scripture. How do they know God accepted or rejected? Well, God accepted offerings by consuming it with fire from on high. So, in all likelihood... As they stood there offering their offering to the Lord, Abel's was consumed with fire from heaven. Cain's just sat there. And all of a sudden, Cain noticed that Abel's sacrifice was consumed and his sacrifice was sitting there unaccepted by God. He began to get angry. He said, my brother's going to get the place ahead of me. Even though he's my younger brother, he's accepted and favored by God. He's going to get a step ahead of me. And he became angry, and we know that that led to sin. Sin was crouching at the door, and he killed his brother. But the point that I want you to get is not that God was choosing favorites and picking whom he liked and whom he didn't like, but it was their sacrifice uh, that was the issue here. Because Abel understood something, and that was that there's got to be a bloody sacrifice between me and God when I come into the presence of the Lord. And Cain was, in essence, saying, I don't believe that that's necessary, and I don't like the idea that there has to be a bloody sacrifice. I'm going to bring what I want to bring. I'm going to do it on my terms. I'm going to do it my way. And catch this right now, my brothers and sisters. Cain's offering was the same as Adam and Eve's garments of fig leaves. It was man's efforts to please God. It was through their works trying to come before God and be considered righteous because of their hard work because of their labor, because of their goodness. And because Cain was rejected, the Bible lets us know that he went out of the presence of the Lord and then eventually he killed his brother and had a mark put upon him that everyone who saw him knew that there was a lack of God's favor on his life. And thenceforth begins a division into two of every person on the planet. Those that understand the need for a bloody sacrifice in order to be saved and those those that say, I'll try to do it on my own. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to have my own belief system and I'm going to serve and worship God how I choose. There is a division line. There is a dividing in the river right there. And the division line is the line of the blood of the lamb or the sacrifice that was slain. Without blood, there's no remission of sins. Without blood, there's no forgiveness. Without blood, there's no way. Amen. See, here, here's, the, here, here's the way to get an understanding of this. This is the gospel. This is what we need to be able to tell people. We need to be able to share with people. People say, why do I have to be baptized? I'm going to share you, tell you why people have to be baptized in Jesus' name. Well, why do I have to receive? I'm trying to tell you why you have to receive the Holy Ghost. Why do I have to believe in Jesus? Why can't I believe the way that I was raised? Why can't I believe in, in Muhammad? Or why can't I believe in the teachings of Buddha? Why can't I? We're all trying to become better people. We're all trying to become spiritual, aren't we? See, that's the problem. That's called the way of Cain. talks about it in the book of Jude. The way of Cain is this. The way of Cain is I'm going to come my way, and I don't like the idea that there has to be a bloody sacrifice because if I take a bloody sacrifice, I'm saying, in essence, I realize that I'm a sinner. Catch this point right here. Catch this point. You've got to realize that you need a Savior. 
You've got to recognize that you are a sinner. If you don't get that point, you can come to church every day of your life and you can pray morning, noon, and night. and You can give alms to the poor and you can give money to the church. and You can try everything that you try, but all of it will bring you short until you realize I've got to come into the presence of the Lord with a bloody sacrifice. Because God had said, when you sin, you die. The wages of sin is death. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. When you disobey God, you've got a payday coming. And the payday is not a good payday. The payday is death. And on that day when Adam and Eve failed God, God's judgment and God's justice demanded that they die. But God's mercy showed up. And said, I love this man. I love this woman. They're my children. I don't want them to die. But before mercy could be extended, justice had to be satisfied. And so when the animal was slain in the garden to create the skins to cover them, justice was satisfied. So that mercy could be extended. I want you to understand today. This is the misconception of the worldwide concept that rejects the cross and rejects Jesus Christ. The misconception is that we as humans are fundamentally good people. And then if we get in the right environment, around the right people, around the right influences, we will reform ourselves. It's called Darwinism. It's called evolution. The idea that we're getting better and better and better. And ultimately, we're going to be good enough. But if you accept or embrace what Cain accepted and embraced, which was, I'm not a bad person. I mean, yeah, I could see you, uh, uh, I could see maybe, uh, maybe a Jeffrey Dahmer needing a sacrifice if he was going to come in the presence of God. Or, or I, I, I could see maybe a, a rapist or a murderer or somebody that served two life sentences. If they're going to come in the presence of God, they've got to bring a bloody sacrifice uh, because they deserve to die. But the rest of the world is sitting here comparing themselves amongst themselves and saying, yeah, he's a bad person, but I pay my taxes. And he's a bad person, but I never beat up on my kids. And uh, he's got problems, but uh, I'm a pretty good guy. I take care of my family. I put food on the table. Doesn't that count for anything? That's called the way of Cain. It's the idea that says, uh, by my own works and by my own virtues, I ought to be accepted by God. But Abel says, "Uh uh-uh, I recognize, I recognize. See, sin in the Bible is is likened unto leprosy. In your Bible reading, if you're reading, uh, toward the end of February, you saw where leprosy had to be separated from the camp. Not only leprosy, but mildew and mold on a house and in a garment was compared to sin. What's the comparison? It's pervasive. It has to be cut out. Or it spreads, right? And so with Adam and Eve, their transgression spread down to the next generation. And both Cain and Abel were in need of a Savior. Just like you and I are in need of a Savior. 
Abel recognized his need of bloodshed and a sacrifice to atone or cover before he came in the presence of God. Cain said, no, I'll just do my own effort and do my own work and do my own thing. And I'm going to try to come into the presence of God. See, there is a philosophy that's beginning to affect the fringes of Christianity and even come to the heart of some Christianity. It could be referred to on one hand as the religion of tolerance. On the other hand, it's called universalism, the idea that everybody is saved. Hey, that's an attractive idea, isn't it? There's really no such place as hell. Everybody's going to go to heaven because there's seeds of goodness in everybody. I mean, he's a nice person. She's sweet. She takes care of people. He looks out for other people's needs. See, it's very attractive. There's something in the human nature that hates the idea that there has to be a bloody sacrifice. We're all, we all have seeds of Cain in us in a sense in our thinking, that would love to embrace a philosophy that says by a person's goodness and by some fundamental goodness within the heart of every person that God can embrace and pull them into heaven, whatever, regardless of what they believe and regardless of what they've done or where they've been or who they are. This is the religion of universalism. It is the last day one world religion. And I promise you one thing, if there is a church that stands up and declares there must be blood applied to your life and there's a specific way for that blood to be applied to your life, watch persecution coming if God doesn't take us out of the world beforehand. Amen. There's universalism. Everybody's saved. It's the way of Cain. The idea that rejects that there is a fundamental need for salvation and for a bloody sacrifice. And you go through Scripture time after time. You begin to see this foreshadowing or typology that a lamb was going to be slain to take away the sins of the world and to atone for everyone. At certain times, you had to bring your own lamb. Everybody bring your own lamb. At the Passover, every house had to have a lamb slain in it. Uh, if you had sin, you bring a sacrifice from your flock, uh, from your herds. If you don't have flocks and herds, you go buy a sacrifice and bring it so that your sins would be covered and atoned for. It was messy. It was bloody. It was continuous, continuous, continuous. Year after year after year, the day of atonement, the sacrifices offered, but finally, they there was a promise of good news. And the good news was, as John looked up, as he was baptizing people and saw Jesus come walking down the dusty hillside and pointed and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, when Jesus was beaten and blood began to flow from the open wounds of his body, his blood was not just blood, as the song says, of another lamb, but his blood was precious blood because it had the power to wash the sins of man. I love that song. He said, His blood heals my body, sets my spirit free. I'm so glad his precious blood... It's still flowing. You go to church after church after church, and they don't preach about the blood anymore. Why? Because it's kind of gory. It's like, ugh. It's disgusting. We want to pat each other on the back. You're a good person. You can become a better person. No, we're not. We're not good people. We're sinners. We need a Savior. We can't afford to come into the presence of God. 
Say, hey, God, I've been a good guy. Hey, God, I'm not as bad as Joe. Hey, God, I'm not as bad as her. Look at this. I've been working hard. Just like, remember in the Bible when the, the man came into the presence of God? Two people. One was a publican. The other was one of the religious leaders. They were praying. The religious leader, the Pharisee, said, God, I thank thee that I am not as these other men are. I'm thankful, Lord God, that I'm not like this person or that person or even that publican over there praying. You know what, God? I fast regularly. I tithe of everything. I pray on the street corners. I do all of these things. God, I'm so glad I'm better than this person. In the meantime, there's a publican there smiting himself on the chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, guess who went home justified? Guess who went home with their life being changed? One guy went home the same way that he came, but the other man said, I'm coming into the presence of God and saying, I need a sacrifice because I'm a sinner. I need a sacrifice because I'm a sinner. I need a sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for mine, He was offering the sacrifice. The sacrifice that would take away our sins. And that's why, guys, stay with me right now, when Noah built the ark, he only put one door in the ark. There's only one way to get saved. There's only one way to be atoned. There's only one way to find redemption. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, No man cometh to the Father except through me. It's, it's not a matter of my religion compared to your religion or my belief system compared to your belief system. It's the, the issue of all of us are sinners and we need a Savior. And Jesus said, I'll do it. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He said, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Only through Jesus and His sacrifice. Come on, let's praise Him right now. I feel like praising Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me share with you just quickly where this universal doctrine comes from. The universal doctrine says that Jesus' sacrifice was unlimited. It was universal. Which is true. Jesus died for every man. Jesus died for every person. His sacrifice is sufficient for everyone. He doesn't have to bring another one along. We don't have to add anything to it. His sacrifice is sufficient. But the universal doctrine says then, since Jesus died for all, then all are saved. And our responsibility then as the quote-unquote church is not to preach the gospel and expecting a change and a transformation. But we just go tell everybody, hey, i got good news for you. You're already saved. And they're like, really? All right, see you later. Thanks for the good news. The good news is not telling people that they're already saved. But the good news is to tell people there is a way of salvation. <laughs> the Bible says, 
Narrow is the gate. Few there be that find it. Not a lot of people are going to find it. But guess what? There's going to be a lot of people in heaven because somebody said, I'm not going to let them wander around until they find it, but I'm going to share with them the good news. I'm going to share with them the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to show them the way. Some people say it's narrow that only through one man and only through one belief system. It's a narrow way, but it leads to eternal life. And it's because of an understanding that says, I realize that I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not bright enough. I don't have enough good works. I need Jesus. I need a sacrifice. I need a broken lamb. I need a bowl of blood. I need something. In a surefire way to see if someone's walking the way of Cain. And they say, well, there's no need to be a Christian. There's no need to be at church. Be a church person. I'm a good person. Beep, beep, beep. Get your attention right there. That doesn't matter if you're a good person or not. What matters is, do you have God's blood applied to your life? Are you covered with the skins, hallelujah, of the slaughtered lamb, so that when you stand in the presence of God, you're not coming before with your good works, which are filthy rags, but you're coming before covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, hallelujah. And the reality of the Word of God is, this is what's got to get us jazzed and excited and pumped, is the idea that we have a message whereby the vilest of sinner can have a sacrifice for them. We've got a message whereby those that are far removed from God, can be brought nigh unto him by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, praise him right now. I feel Jesus. So the answer to the doctrine of universalism or the fallacy of universalism is... The biblical principle of application. That is, it wasn't enough that an animal died in the garden, but the clothes had to be put on. Just like Galatians 3 says, For as many of you as have been baptized have been clothed in Christ or put on the sacrifice. Amen? Put it on. Now, here, here's, here's the bloodline right here. When, when uh, uh, Moses and the children of Israel came out of bondage, when they came out of Egypt, anybody heard of the Passover before? Some of this is basic, fundamental, basic Christian doctrine. But I think sometimes we need to get back to the basics and realize if we've got something to shout about, we've got to shout about the cross. Because it doesn't matter if you're old or young, red, yellow, black, or white, you need the cross. Whether you're rich or poor, whether you're Christian or Buddhist, doesn't matter who you are, you need the cross of Jesus Christ. The message of the Passover is this. This is the message of the Passover. Is that God was about to deliver His people out of Pharaoh and judgment was coming in the form of the death angel. Anybody remember the story from Scripture? The death angel was going to Go over every house in Egypt. And God instituted a ceremony called the Passover. And the idea was that in every household of the Hebrew people who were believers in God and were going to trust in God, 
a lamb was to be slain in every house. And that lamb in every household, as it was slain, as the uh, knack was cut on this animal, and the blood began to seep from the, the cut, that the blood was caught in a bowl. And there, as the blood was drained from the animal so that they could partake of it later, they took the blood of the animal and they took a hyssop as they were commanded, which was um, some kind of a paintbrush applicator type thing. And they were to dip it into the blood and they were to take it and they were to wipe it like paint on the doorpost, on one side of their doorpost, then on the other side of their doorpost, and then across the top of their doorpost. It wasn't enough that a lamb was slain. The blood had to be applied. The blood had to be applied. And as the blood was applied, they were trusting in the promise of God that He was going to protect and save them from judgment. Yeah, they didn't set up their own uh, Star Wars um, implementation out there to try to block the effects of the death angel. They said, I'm trusting the blood. They didn't say a bunch of Hail Marys and count beads and go do good deeds. They said, I'm trusting the blood is going to take care of me. It's not because I'm better than my Egyptian neighbor, not because I'm smarter, but because God said, if you put trust in the bleeding lamb and apply the blood, then you'll be saved and your household too. And they applied it. See, they applied it. When God told Noah to build the ark, He said to cover it within and without with pitch. With pitch. That same word that's translated in the King James Version as pitch is translated 83 times in the Old Testament as atone or cover. The same word that's translated atonement. Get into the ark. Believe that it's going to cover you. Come into the house. Believe that the blood that's applied. See, our faith is in Jesus Christ. Our faith isn't built on our goodness or our efforts. Our faith is on Jesus and the bleeding lamb and the blood that's been applied. And so as the death angel came through, as the death angel came through, every house begin to experience judgment and the shrieking and the mourning and the piercing sounds of the, of the Middle Eastern tendency to, uh, to uh, communicate grief. Shrieks came from every house. Uh, but as the death angel was coming through the area of Goshen, wherever there was blood, the Bible lets us know that the angel of judgment would pass over that house. Uh, and, and then judgment would come on this house and that house. But there's blood on the doorposts. Uh, and the angel would pass over that house. Uh, this is where the principle or the concept of the Passover came. Is that when God saw the blood, when He saw the blood, He passed over the house. And I want to tell you, though your sins are many, though you were sins as scarlet, you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb and you've been made as white as snow. Hallelujah. 
Can God save anybody? Yeah. If they'll believe in Jesus Christ, trust in His sacrifice, and apply the blood to their life. How do you apply the blood? It's real simple. Back to the gospel. Jesus died. He was buried. And He rose again according to the Scriptures. It's interesting. In Romans chapter 10, and also uh, in, in uh, I believe it's... Uh, Second Thessalonians, I believe it is, two different times it says, the first time it says they have not all obeyed the gospel. Another place it says, it, it, it says God taking fiery vengeance on those that know not God and obey not the gospel. So the gospel message, the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is not just something for us to hear and not just something for us to believe. But it is something for us to obey. Obey. Because, get this, are you guys still with me? I'll do a puppet show. When Jesus, when Jesus died for our sins, when He died on the cross, He was making a way for us to be born again. Because what He was doing is he was taking something old and he was making it new. But he said the only way the old can become new is I had to die on a cross, I had to be buried in a tomb, and I had to come forth with resurrection power. Behold, I make all things new. And he was a new creature when he came out of the tomb. He was showing us what it takes to be born again. Nicodemus said, what do you mean born again? That doesn't make sense. Jesus said, you must be born of the water and of the Spirit. And you can be a new creature in Christ. As the Scripture says, all things are passed away. Old things are passed away. Behold, everything is become new. So this sacrifice thing of Jesus Christ, this gospel thing, is not something to put in a museum and bow down to. It's not something to observe from a distance. It's not something to admire and to look at, but it's something we got to get into. It's something we got to put on. It's something we got to do. Hallelujah. It's something we got to go through. It's the gospel message. It's the new birth. So we must die with Jesus Christ to take His sacrifice on us. We've got to relate to His death. As the Apostle Paul said, I'm crucified with Jesus, but I'm still alive. But it's not me anymore. It's Christ living within me. True repentance is not just confessing your sins. And true repentance is not just feeling bad because you got caught or you feel guilty. But true repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of heart. It's a change of direction. The old way, the old man, the old direction, the old philosophy on life has to die. Because if it's still alive, or if you let it come back to life again, then you're, you need to repent again. Amen? And put it under the blood. And then be buried. The Bible makes it real super clear that we're buried with Him when we're baptized in the water. That's where we're born of the water. Amen? 
Hallelujah. You've got to be baptized in water and baptized in fire. You're baptized in water right up there and you baptize in fire when you get the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues as the Spirit of God gives you the utterance. Fire baptism. Let me, let me just make it clear to you right now. If you walk into a church or uh, if you're visiting with us today and you go into a church and they don't preach and teach the need for a response to the gospel and the application of the blood, turn tail and run because that's not the place uh, for a child of God. You've got to go where the gospel message has not been deviated from. It's not shied away from. People aren't ashamed of the gospel message. This is the power of God unto salvation. This is the only thing that will save the world. You've got to give your life to Jesus. You've got to repent of your sins. You must be born again. You've got to be baptized in water. In Jesus' precious name. Forgiveness. Washing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're saved by faith. But faith without obedience is not faith. It's just affirmation of the mind. There is a deviant theology prominent in Christianity that says baptism is not essential. It's not important and it's not necessary. I'm sorry, that may be convenient, but it's not biblical. The Bible said, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. There's something about human nature that said, Why do I need a bloody sacrifice? Why do I need to respond and apply this blood to my doorpost? This doesn't make sense. This doesn't follow scientific reasoning. But the reality is, if you're baptized in Jesus' name, you're covered. You've taken on Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, praise Him right now. Hallelujah. And then the final point is the resurrection. The resurrection. The Bible says always be ready to give every man reason for the hope that you have. What's changed about you? Well, I just I quit smoking, I quit drinking hanging around the wrong places and I, you know, stopped reading the junk I was reading, stopped looking at the filth on the internet I used to look at and, you know, I just feel like a better person. I feel cleaner. You know what? Shut your mouth and say this right here. I was a sinner, but I realized that the only way that I could be saved is Jesus' blood had to be applied to my life. And somebody showed me from the Word of God, from the Word of God, that I could become a new creature if I would die with Him by giving Him my life, if I would be buried with Him by being baptized in water in His name, if I would receive His resurrection power by receiving the promised gift of the Spirit, I could be a new creature. And when Jesus Christ, mercy came on me, hallelujah, and although I deserve judgment just like all of us deserve judgment, Jesus showed His mercy by, to me by letting His blood be applied to my life. That's why I walk different. That's why I talk different. That's why I act different. That's why I live different because it's a new person in these shoes. It's not the old man anymore. I've been renewed, regenerated, made over again by the power of the blood of Jesus and the regenerating power of His Spirit. Why don't we stand together and praise the Lord Jesus right now? Come on, that's it. Somebody praise Him right now. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. 
Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Only by your grace I'm saved. Hallelujah. 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 The old songs of the church say it best. They say things like, Alas, and did my Savior die? And did my sovereign That sacred crown for such a worm as I. And then it says this right here. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. And it says something like this, draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where Thou hast died. Draw me Just for a moment, take a few minutes to, because it, if you get this message, you can't just go on living like you're living. And if you get this word, you realize this is the word that the world needs, the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ and me living my own life and all worried about all these things that seem so important to me in 2011 is ridiculous because the bloody lamb, the sacrifice that was given for mankind is only extended for a few more days, a few more weeks maybe a year, maybe two years who knows, but right now it could come tomorrow, Jesus could come tomorrow and the church age would be finished. I want to tell you that right now. When Jesus comes back, the church age is finished. The, the mercy is no longer available. But today, God's mercy is available for every one of you. I wonder if there's somebody that says, I need your mercy, Lord God. I want to come in into your presence. I want to embrace, hallelujah, the sacrifice and the bloody lamb that is able to make me right with God and cover my sins. Just for a minute, I want us to come forward. If you're visiting with us today and you haven't given your life to the Lord, today's the day for that to happen. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I want to tell you that you can leave out of here today a new creature in Jesus Christ. You'll speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives you the utterance. I'm telling you right now, Life Church is ready for revival. It's time for a new season of harvest. I feel it in my spirit. I feel it welling up in me. God's going to do a great thing. So come on. If you want to trust in what Jesus has done for you rather than trusting in your own ideas and your own philosophy and your own
own abilities and your own good works. Uh, come on, there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. indicate Jesus I recognize that I need you Lord I can't go my own pathway I can't go my own way Jesus I can't ignore your sacrifice I can't ignore what you've done for me and given in the name of Jesus come on that's it just kind of squeeze up through there hallelujah that are willing to. I want us to find a place to kneel down before God. If you're physically able, if your legs will allow you to. I want us to find a place to kneel in His presence. I want us to come before Him with the spirit of Abel. It says, God, I recognize that, that, I, that I do need You, Jesus. And that, that Your sacrifice is what's going to save me. And I want to be a new creature and I want to come into Your presence. That's it. For just a moment right now. Hallelujah. 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 I want you to say, Jesus, I plead your blood upon my life. God, I want you to wash and cleanse and forgive me. I want to be a new creature in you, Lord God, but I don't want to follow the mistaken philosophy that I can do it just by reforming my ways because it's going to end up leaving me with the same frustration, the same emptiness. Because my efforts without your blood are filthy rags. But if your blood would be applied, come on somebody. Some of you, let me just say a prophetic word. Some of you have been struggling with some temptation. And you've been trying to fight it on your own. You've been trying to fight it every way you know. You've been struggling with the same temptation. The Lord wants you to realize today that if you'll trust in the shed blood of Jesus, that right now, if you'll put your confidence in Him instead of yourself, Instead of your ability, he's going to give you the power. He's going to appropriate his righteousness over top of your unrighteousness. He's going to cover you with his blood. Jesus, I need your blood. Jesus, I need your cleansing. Come on, that's it. Cry out to him right now. Lord Jesus, I'm not asking you to help me have strength to be a better person. God, I know that your blood is going to put your righteousness over me. I know, Lord God, that your spirit is going to change me and make me a new creature. And I want to trust you. Come on, that's the key word. I'm not trusting in myself, God. I'm trusting in you. 
Jesus, I need you, Lord. I want to wake up every morning recognizing my need of you and my gratitude for your mercy to me, Jesus, for your blessing, Lord. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about your cross. It's all about the shed blood that makes me a new creature. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, let's talk to Jesus for a few moments right now. Hallelujah, Lord. I believe you, Jesus. I believe you, Jesus. I believe you, Jesus.
been there before. You've sinned. There's no use to pray. That's when I look away to Jesus. I look away to Jesus. And he tells me to say. Why don't we stand on our feet all across this place? Hallelujah. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. Amen. And we've got to trust the blood. Amen. Hallelujah. Devil tries to get you feeling condemned and beat up and discouraged. Say, I'm the devil, by the way, I'm not saved by my performance. I'm saved by what he's done for me. qualify myself by saying this doesn't mean that we have a license to live how we want to ignore God's commands. Jesus said it, made it real clear. If you love me, you keep my commandments. You'll follow after him. You'll serve him. But you're not going to do it through effort to be saved because you realize that Jesus has saved you. And the life that I now live, I live not of my own strength. Come on. See, because don't truly repent, the only way they can live for God or think they live for God is through their own works. But when you truly repent of your sins, when you truly lay down your life before the Lord, you say, I'm alive, but it's not me living anymore. It's Christ living in me and the good that I do, it's not me. Well, that was a good sermon, Pastor Brown. Thank you, but it wasn't me. I'm so proud of you. Thanks, but it's not me. <laughs> I'm alive, but, but, but it's not me that's a living now. It's Christ living through me. That's why I'm a new creature. That's why I don't want to act the way I used to act. That's why I can't conduct myself and look like I used to look. Something has transformed and changed inside of me. My will is dead. My will is dead. Jesus says, turn right, I turn right. Jesus says, go this way. Hey, and you've got to be spirit-filled to be able to follow the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's why you've got to die with Jesus, be buried with Him in water, and experience resurrection by receiving the Holy Ghost. Hey, this is the message. This message will never change. Amen. Hairstyles come in and out. Mullet's popular for a while. 
Now if you wear a mullet, people laugh at you. Longer skirts, short skirts, style of shirts, bell-bottom pants, tight-rolled pants, in and out, everything changes. But Jesus Christ is the same. This dispensation of the church age. Until the church is removed from this world. This is the message. And you'll know things won't change until the church is translated. That means carried over death to the promised land. But until the, while the church is still here, there is no other message. Listen to me. doesn't matter what other people believe or how convincing their arguments are. Go back to the Word. There's only one gospel. There's only one good news. That is, you become a new creature by obeying the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection, the blood of Jesus. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Life Kids, for being with us. If there's anybody here you've not yet been baptized in water in Jesus' name, man, I would love nothing more than to baptize you in water in Jesus' name. Praise God.